0: Section 11. Of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 5. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Roseter Johnson, and John Rudd. Growth and Decadence of Chivalry. 10th to 15th Century by Leon Gauthier, Part 1. Writers on the history of chivalry are unable to refer its origin to any definite time or place, and even specific definition of chivalry is seldom attempted by careful students. They rather give us, as does Gautier in the picturesque account which follows, some recognized starting point, and for definition content themselves with characterization of the spirit and aims of chivalry, analysis of its methods, and the story of its rise and fall. Chivalry was not an official institution that came into existence by the decree of a sovereign. Although religious in its original elements and impulses, there was nothing in its origin to remind us of the foundation of a religious order. It would be useless to search for the place of its birth or for the name of its founder. It was born everywhere at once and has been everywhere at the same time, the natural effect of the same aspirations and the same needs there was a moment when people everywhere felt the necessity of tempering the ardor of old german blood and of giving their ill-regulated passions an ideal hence chivalry yet chivalry arose from a german custom which was idealized by the christian church and chivalry was more an ideal than an institution it was the christian form of the military profession the knight was the Christian soldier. True, the profession and mission of the Church meant the spread of peace and the hatred of war, she holding with her master that they who take the sword shall perish with the sword. Her thought was formulated by St. Augustine. He who can think of war, and can't support it without great sorrow, is truly dead to human feelings. It is necessary, he says, to submit to war, but to wish for peace." the church did however look upon war as a divine means of punishment and of expiation for individuals and nations and the eloquent bossuet showed the church's view of war as the terrestrial preparation for the kingdom of god and described how empires fall upon one another to form a foundation whereon to build the church in the light of such interpretations the church availed herself of the military auxiliary known as chivalry. Along with the religious impulse that animated it, chivalry bore throughout its purer course the character of knightliness which it received from Teutonic sources. How the fine sentiments and ennobling customs of the Teutonic nations, particularly with respect to the gallantry and generosity of the male toward the female sex, grew into beautiful combination with the rule of protecting the weak and defenseless everywhere, and how these elements were blended with the spirit of religious devotion which entered into the organization and practices of chivalry, forms one of the most fascinating features in the study of its development, and this gentler side, no less than its sterner aspects, is faithfully represented in the brilliant examination of Gautier and the heroic sentiment and action which inspired and accomplished the sacred warfare of the crusades are not less admirably depicted in these pages, while in his summary of the decline of chivalry Gautier has perhaps never been surpassed for penetrating insight and lucid exposition. There is a sentence of Tacitus, the celebrated passage in the Germania, that refers to a german rite in which we really find all the military elements of the future chivalry the scene took place beneath the shade of an old forest the barbarous tribe is assembled and one feels that a solemn ceremony is in preparation into the midst of the assembly advances a very young man whom you can picture to yourself with sea-green eyes long fair hair and perhaps some tattooing a chief of the tribe is present who without delay places gravely in the hands of the young man a framia and a buckler failing a sovereign ruler it is the father of the youth or some relative who undertakes this delivery of weapons such is the virile robe of these people as tacitus well puts it such is the first honour of their youth TILL THEN THE YOUNG MAN WAS ONLY ONE IN A FAMILY. HE BECOMES BY THIS RIGHT A MEMBER OF THE REPUBLIC, ANTE hoi DOMUS PARS VIDITOR MOX REI PUBLICAE. THIS SWORD AND BUCKLER HE WILL NEVER ABANDON, FOR THE GERMANS IN ALL THEIR ACTS, WHETHER PUBLIC OR PRIVATE, ARE ALWAYS ARMED. SO THE CEREMONY FINISHED, THE ASSEMBLY SEPARATES, AND THE TRIBE reckons A MILES, A WARRIOR, the more that is all this solemn handing of arms to the young german such is the first germ of chivalry which christianity was one day to animate into life vestigium vetus criande equites si it is with reason that saint pelet comments in the very same way upon the text of the germania and that a scholar of our own days exclaims with more than scientific exactness, the true origin of Miles is this bestowal of arms which, among the Germans, marks the entry into civil life. No other origin will support the scrutiny of the critic, and he will not find anyone now to support the theory of Roman origin with St. Marie, or that of the Arabian origin with Beaumont. There only remains to explain in this place the term knight, chevalier, but it is well known to be derived from cabalus which primarily signifies a beast of burden a pack-horse and has ended by signifying a war-horse the knight also has preserved the name of miles in the latin tongue of the middle ages in which chivalry is always called militia nothing can be clearer than this we do not intend to go further however without replying to two objections which are not without weight, and which we do not wish to leave behind us unanswered. In a certain number of Latin books in the Middle Ages, we find to describe chivalry an expression which the Romanists oppose triumphantly to us, and of which the Romish origin cannot seriously be doubted. When it is intended to signify that a knight has been created, it is stated that the individual has been girt with the singular militare, here we find ourselves in full Roman parlance, and the words signified certain terms which described admission into military service, the release from this service, and the degradation of the legionary. When St. Martin left the militia, his action was qualified as solutio Singuli, and at all those who act like him, the insulting expression Militaribus zonus distincti is cast. The girdle which sustains the sword of the Roman officer, singulum zona, or rather sanctorium, is also the baldric from Baltius, passed over the shoulder and was intended to support the weapon of the common soldier. You perceive quite well, say our adversaries, that we have to do with a Roman costume. Two very simple observations will perhaps suffice to get to the bottom of such a specious argument. The first is that the Germans, in early times, wore, in imitation of the Romans, a wide belt ornamented with bosses of metal, a baldric, by which their swords were suspended on the left side. And the second is that the chroniclers of old days, who wrote in Latin and affected the classic style, very naturally adopted the word singulum in all its acceptations, and made use of this Latin paraphrasis. Singulo MILITARY DECORERI, to express this solemn adoption of the sword. This evidently German custom was always one of the principal rites of the collation of chivalry. There is nothing more in it than a somewhat vague reminiscence of a Roman custom, with a very natural conjunction of terms, which has always been the habit of a literary people. To sum up, the word is Roman, but the thing itself is German. Between the militia of the Romans, and the chivalry of the middle ages there is really nothing in common but the military profession considered generally the official admittance of the roman soldier to an army hierarchically organized in no way resembled the admission of a new knight into a sort of military college and the pink of society as we read further the singularly primitive and barbarous ritual of the service of knightly reception in the twelfth century one is persuaded that the words exhale a German odour, and have nothing Roman about them. But there is another argument, and one which would appear decisive. The Roman legionary could not as a rule withdraw from the service. He could not avoid the baldric. The youthful knight of the Middle Ages, on the contrary, was always free to arm himself, or not, as he pleased. Just as other cavaliers are at liberty to leave or join their ranks. The principal characteristic of the knightly service, and one which separates it most decidedly from the Roman militia, was its freedom of action. One very specious objection is made as regards feudalism, which some clear-minded people obstinately confound with chivalry. This was the favorite theory of Montalembert. Now there are two kinds of feudalism which the old feudalists put down very clearly in two words now out of date—fiefs of dignity and fiefs simple. About the middle of the ninth century, the dukes and counts made themselves independent of the central power, and declared that people owed the same allegiance to them, as they did to the emperor or the king. Such were the acts of the fiefs of dignity, and we may at once allow that they had nothing in common with chivalry the fiefs simple then remained in the merovingian period we find a certain number of small proprietors called vassi commending themselves to other men more powerful and more rich who were called senioris to his senior who made him a present of land the vassus owed assistance and fidelity it is true that as early as the reign of charlemagne he followed him to war but it must be noted that it was to the emperor to the central power that he actually rendered military service. There was nothing very particular in this, but the time was approaching when things would be altered. Toward the middle of the ninth century, we find a large number of men falling on their knees before other men. What are they about? They are recommending themselves, but in plainer terms protect us and we will be your men. And they added, it is to you and to you only that we intend in future to render military service but in exchange you must protect the land we possess defend what you will in time concede to us and defend us ourselves these people on their knees were vassals at the feet of their lords and the fief was generally only a grant of land conceded in exchange for military service Feudalism of this nature has nothing in common with chivalry, if we consider chivalry in fact as a kind of privileged body into which men were received on certain conditions and with a certain ritual, it is important to observe that every vassal is not necessarily a cavalier. There were vassals who, with the object of averting the cost of initiation or for other reasons, remained damoso or pages all their lives the majority of course did nothing of the kind but all could do so and a great many did on the other hand we see conferred the dignity of chivalry upon insignificant people who had never held fiefs who owed to no one any fealty and to whom no one owed any we cannot repeat too often that it was not the cavalier or knight it was the vassal who owed military service or ost to the seigneur or lord, and the service in curta or court. It was the vassal, not the knight, who owed to the lord relief, aid, homage. The feudal system soon became hereditary. Chivalry, on the contrary, has never been hereditary, and a special right has always been necessary to create a knight. In default of all other arguments this would be sufficient. but. If instead of regarding chivalry as an institution, we consider it as an ideal, the doubt is not really more admissible. It is here that, in the eyes of a philosophic historian, chivalry is clearly distinct from feudalism. If the Western world in the ninth century had not been feudalized, chivalry would nevertheless have come into existence. And notwithstanding everything, it would have come to light in Christendom. For chivalry, is nothing more than the Christianized form of military service, the armed force in the service of the unarmed truth. And it was inevitable that at some time or another it must have sprung, living and fully armed, from the brain of the Church, as Minerva did from the brain of Jupiter. Feudalism, on the contrary, is not of Christian origin at all. It is a particular form of government, and of society which has scarcely been less rigorous for the church than other forms of society and government. Feudalism has disputed with the church over and over again, while chivalry has protected her a hundred times. Feudalism is force. Chivalry is the break. Let us look at Godfrey de Bouillon. The fact that he owed homage to any suzerain, the fact that he exacted service from such-and-such vassals, are questions which concern feudal rights and have nothing to do with chivalry. But if I contemplate him in a battle beneath the walls of Jerusalem, if I am a spectator of his entry into the holy city, if I see him ardent, brave, powerful, and pure, valiant and gentle, humble and proud, refusing to wear the golden crown in the holy city where Jesus wore the crown of thorns, I am not then anxious, I am not curious to learn from whom he holds his fief, or to know the names of his vassals, and I exclaim, there is the knight." And how many knights! what chivalrous virtues have existed in the Christian world since feudalism has ceased to exist? The adoption of arms, in the German fashion, remains the true origin of chivalry, and the Franks have handed down this custom to us—a custom perpetuated to a comparatively modern period. This simple, almost rude rite, so decidedly marked the line of civil life in the code of manners of people of German origin that under the Carlovingians we still find numerous traces of it. In 791 Louis, eldest son of Charlemagne, was only thirteen years old, and yet he had worn the crown of Aquitaine for three years upon his baby brow. The king of the Franks felt that it was time to bestow upon this child the military consecration which would more quickly assure him of the respect of his people. He summoned him to Ingelheim, then to Ratisbon, and solemnly girded him with the sword, which makes men. He did not trouble himself about the framia or the buckler. The sword occupied the first place. It will retain it for a long time. In 838, a We have a similar scene. This time it is old Louis, who, full of sadness and nigh to death, bestows upon his son Charles, whom he loved so well, the virile arms, that is to say, the sword. Then immediately afterward he put upon his brow the crown of Neustria. Charles was fifteen years old. These examples are not numerous, but their importance is decisive and they carry us to the time when the Church came to intervene positively in the education of the German miles. The time was rough, and it is not easy to picture a more distracted period than that in the ninth and tenth centuries. The great idea of the Roman Empire, no longer in the minds of the people, coincided with the idea of the Frankish kingdom, but rather inclined, so to speak, to the side of Germany where it tended to fix itself. Countries were on the way to be formed, and people were asking to which country they should best belong. Independent kingdoms were founded which had no precedence and were not destined to have a long life. The Saracens were for the last time harassing the southern French coasts, but it was not so with the Norman pirates, for they did not cease for a single year to ravage the littoral which is now represented by the Picardy and Normandy coasts, until the day it became necessary to cede the greater part of it to them. People were fighting everywhere, more or less, family against family, man to man, no road was safe, the churches were burned, there was universal terror, and everyone sought protection. The king had no longer strength to resist anyone, and the counts made themselves kings." The sun of the realm was set, and one had to look at the stars for light. As soon as the people perceived a strong man-at-arms, resolute, defiant, well established in his wooden keep, well fortified within the lines of his hedge, behind his palisade of dead branches, or within his barriers of planks, well posted on his hill, against his rock or on his hillock, and dominating all the surrounding country. As soon as they saw this, each said to him, I am your man, and all those weak ones grouped themselves around the strong one, who next day proceeded to wage war with his neighbors. Thence supervened a terrible series of private wars. Every one was fighting, or thinking of fighting. In addition to this, The still green memory of the grand figure of Charlemagne and the old empire, and I can't tell what imperial splendors were still felt in the air of great cities, all hearts throbbed at the mere thought of the Saracens and the Holy Sepulcher. The crusade gathered strength of preparation far in advance in the rage and indignation of all the Christian race. All eyes were turned toward Jerusalem. And in the midst of so many disbandments and so much darkness, the unity of the Church survived fallen Majesty. It was then, it was in that horrible hour, the decisive epoch in our history, that the Church undertook the education of the Christian soldier, and it was at that time, by a resolute step, she found the feudal baron in his rude wooden citadel, and proposed to him an ideal. The ideal was chivalry. That chivalry may be considered a great military confraternity, as well as an eighth sacrament, will be conceded, but before familiarizing themselves with these ideals, the rough spirits of the ninth, tenth, and eleventh centuries had to learn the principles of them. The chivalrous ideal was not conceived all of a piece, and certainly it did not triumph without sustained effort. So it was by degrees, and very slowly, that the Church succeeded in inoculating the almost animal intelligence and the untrained minds of our ancestors with so many virtues. End of section eleven.